You are listening to the 32nd episode of Dave's Daredevil podcast in which Daredevil and Elektra enter the inner sanctum of the hand to face down the ninja assassins. Welcome to another episode of Dave's Daredevil Podcast, the show all about Marvel Comics' Man Without Fear. I am J. David Weeder, but as always, you can call me Dave. Otherwise, the show's title wouldn't make much sense. As usual, I have another issue to cover in the Frank Miller run on Daredevil, but first, a few here and there things. To start with, Paul Spataro, Bill Robinson, a.k.a. Dr. Bill, and Scott Gardner had me on for episode 152 of Back to the Bins which you can find over at the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. On that episode, we talked about X-Factor, the current state of comics, and Wilford Brimley. No, you heard that right. It was a really good time, I mean a really good time, a lot of laughter, a really good episode, though I love the way it came out. And true to my form, I brought a Peter David issue of X-Factor, which brings me to my next point. Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast, which has been long on hiatus, not intentionally, but things happen. It is returning in August, and it will be back to weekly every Friday after that. Lee and I have taken great strides to make sure that it occurs. So Lee Busby and I are returning to Pad Smash. Uh, We just, basically now it's just making sure we have enough lead time to make sure we can keep that promise of a weekly show. As such, we've done some planning, and looks like the show will kind of wrap its mandate in early 2016. So the goal is to have an episode a week every week until the end of that run. Of course, that is the show, if you don't know, where I cover, along with Lee Busby, the Peter David run on The Incredible Hulk. Speaking of things that are not appearing, where did the Devil's Advocate episode go? I can hear you saying it. I can hear you. And the thing is, I'm wondering the same thing. See, I actually recorded that all-email episode. But when I went to edit, the thing was gone. The file was gone. It's somewhere nestled in my computer, saved in some weird directory that I don't know. As such... I'm going to re-record the episode to make sure I get it out. However, this ends up being a good thing for you and I. See, along with the emails, I realize these are good episodes to use to cover things that aren't really directly related to Daredevil. They might be tangentially or so, but just sort of off-the-beaten-path things. So this episode is coming out on June 8th. The Devil's Advocate is slated to come out on June 11th. And I have decided to cover the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles issue number one. So look for that this coming Wednesday. We'll cover your emails, which I'm sincerely sorry that I haven't gotten to get that episode out yet. But I definitely want to put something in there to make it worthwhile. So Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is coming this Wednesday, June 11th. This week's issue came out the same month as Batman vs. Hulk. Now, Batman vs. Hulk was a treasury-sized edition, which I used to have, but I had a nice stack of them. And they're hard to store, so they went to better homes, happier homes. But the art on that was done by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. Even my wife says that now. So we had a big climactic crossover with Batman. So I'm going to go ahead and tease episode 35, Batman vs. Daredevil, coming June 29th. Even bigger was this was the month that Raiders of the Lost Ark came out into theaters. 
I know that's a little off topic, but if you get a chance to talk about the movie magic that is Raiders of the Lost Ark, you take it. Talk about a movie that has held up perfectly over time. My wife and I, I believe it was last year, maybe the year before, went to see the IMAX re-release of Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's still gorgeous. It still gets you in the right spots. It's funny, adventurous, a lot of good dialogue, and the special effects, you know, they really hold up overall. So, it occurs to me, George Lucas, firing at all cylinders during this time period, is a lot like Frank Miller. Two people who made critically loved, fan-lauded movies or comic books, who later in life created things that were not as well-received, which gives the perception of a tarnished legacy. However, looking at their actual output, I have to say, these two men did some great things, such as this week's issue, Daredevil number 175, the October 1981 cover date. The cover, which was penciled by Frank Miller and inked by Klaus Janssen, has Daredevil and Elektra standing side by side with Katana in hand, arms raised. In red, probably in blood, the words the end, question mark, are written on the wall as a swarm of hand ninjas descend upon them from the darkness. Suffice it to say, this is another iconic cover from this run and another iconic Daredevil cover overall. It has a very claustrophobic feel, which immediately communicates exactly how dire and how frightening this particular scenario is. We basically have one shaft of light down the wall where the words are written, again, probably in blood, and Daredevil and Elektra are standing defiantly. The hand ninjas are surrounding them in the darkness. The key is that the enemy is in the darkness. But they are here presented in gold, probably to make them stand out on the cover. They're also not wearing the uniforms we grew to know last issue, the red robes. But that does play into something within the story. This is a scene of complete and utter desperation. These are two really foes of each other to some extent, although we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Battling this common enemy, it is completely devoid of hope. For as much as we may love a comic book character or characters, we ultimately tune in to see them go up against adversity, whether that's interpersonal, such as Spider-Man in his personal life, or of course, the natural danger of having an enemy, somebody who wants to kill you. This cover perfectly conveys that these two are in deep deep doo-doo. The utter danger and the utter hopelessness is what has made this cover endure up to this point. One of those Daredevil covers that immediately comes to mind when you think of Frank Miller Daredevil. The line work is exquisite, the shadow work is exceptional. Suffice it to say, I love this cover very, very much. Now, as far as what is inside the issue, to catch us up, the Kingpin has hired ninja assassins The Hand to kill Matt Murdock and those closest to him. This is a bid to get Daredevil to come out and face the hand and potentially utter defeat. Elektra, in turn, has returned to New York to save Matt, but the hand got in a good blow as Daredevil has lost his radar sense thanks to an explosion. And that's basically where we're going to pick up with the story in Daredevil number 175. But before I do, let me take a selfie. Wait, no. Let me play a podcast promo for the Fantasticast. One of my favorite podcasts, thanks to Stephen Lacey and Andrew Leyland's exceptional love and coverage of the Fantastic Four. So I will play that, and then I will be back right after this. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. 
penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happening to you. You're changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What's happened to me? To all of us? I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. For soon, the mole man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And now, mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little debate dream. They're the palms and the hands of Dr. Doom. The Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You earthlings can't change the way I can. At least I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you, for I am the thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four are no more, and the planet Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ravatons, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. Fool, you're just a muscular freak, blind or whole. Stop! You must not end on the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. This planet shall sustain the living drain of all elemental life. So speak, Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witnessed the origins of a legend. The Fantastic Cast. FFCast.Libsyn.com And we have returned to cover Daredevil number 175. The story title is Gauntlet. Now, it's spelled without the traditional U, G-A-N-T-L-E-T, which bothers me, but grammatically it is interchangeable. Having said that, I can't help but read it in Todd McFarlane's voice. Gauntlet. Span. Turn out your lights. For those that enjoyed the late 90s Spawn cartoon on HBO. The story was written and penciled by Frank Miller, inked by Klaus Janssen, lettered by Joseph Rosen, and colored by Christy Scheel. If you are wanting to read along and don't have the physical issue, it is reprinted in Daredevil Visionaries Frank Miller Volume 2 Trade Paperback, the Daredevil by Frank Miller and Klaus Janssen Omnibus Hardcover, where I'm covering it from, and Marvel Digital Comixology and Marvel Digital Unlimited. The story begins with Morning in New York. At one of the most expensive high-rise hotels in town, Elektra is deep in meditation, wearing only a skimpy bra and panties. But, alert as always, Electra senses the presence of another person and reflexively throws her sigh, which embeds in the wall right next to Daredevil's head. Daredevil tries to question Electra as to why the Hand wants to kill Matt Murdock and confesses that he has lost his radar sense. There's nearly a tender moment between the two, but Electra throws Matt out of the window. And Matt is able to catch a nearby ledge, and he realizes that, despite saving his life, Electra truly hates him. The story momentarily flashes back to a moment at the end of last issue, with one big bad hand ninja receiving the mission to kill Elektra. And then we progress. Heather has dumped Matt again, which is one more liability off the list, since the hand won't go after her, but is Foggy safe? Turns out that no, Foggy is not safe, and the hand try to kill Foggy, but Daredevil is able to thwart them, with Mr. Nelson being none the wiser. Of course, the ninjas dissolve whenever Daredevil tries to question them, but he gets a lucky break when one stays solid. In the ninja's pocket is a business card for Ukifuni Oddities. 
a weapon shop in New York. But as Matt laughs off the obvious trap, he takes the handle of a side to the back of the head and Electra plucks the business card out of his hand. Daredevil tries to warn Electra that this is clearly a trap, which she knows, but she also knows that this ninja didn't dissolve, so maybe he is not of the hand. She takes off telling Matt to find a flat rock to hide under because without his radar sense, he is useless. And with those harsh words, let's take a look at what we've gone through so far. Starting with the first page, we have Electra in meditation, and that uh, pose is noticeable. Um, she's barely dressed, which kind of gives us a softer side. This isn't Electra trying to make with the sexy, despite jokes I've made. This is Electra outside of her normal costume. This is Electra in a vulnerable place. And it also reflects what Electra is doing in her head. She, in her meditation, is ridding herself of the emotions that she has tied to Matt Murdock. If you're reading the text blocks, this tells us clearly. Electra is a little annoyed with herself that she let Matt and those emotions get in the way of her mission and the way that she carries herself. This is us seeing Electra as close as we can to internally, or at least as close as the comic code would allow. So at first glance, sure, this looks like cheesecake art. This looks like Frank Miller making her look like a sex kitten. And for a 14-year-old boy, certainly that would stand out. As adults, we're looking at something being used in a narrative fashion to show us the internal struggle of Electra and what she's going through emotionally and trying to push that back down. Again, Matt is kind of her Achilles heel. That came up and put her in danger. So she needs to get back to being a badass assassin. So not cheesecake art, really good narrative use of an image. And of course, just to prove Electra's reflexes are sharp, she goes from this meditation pose into throwing her sigh in about, well, it's all happening in one panel. So time-wise, this is seconds. Seconds after realizing Matt is there. And again, the sigh misses. It whizzes right by Daredevil's head. He doesn't flinch. Another good piece of narrative structure. For one thing, Electra doesn't miss, especially a stationary target. Daredevil knows, or at least thinks he knows, that Electra isn't here to kill him. He knows he hasn't taken her by full-on surprise. He knows this is a warning shot. I can prove this by stating that not only does he not flinch, he simply quietly says, I wasn't trying to scare you. Can we talk? At this stage, Daredevil thinks he knows what's going on inside Electra's head. She came to rescue him, but he doesn't see the sort of emotional armor she's developed since their college days. Or at least he thinks that armor's opened up. Well, if he'd been a few hours earlier, maybe. But at this point, Electra's back on the job. So again, I mean, just for timing's sake, not only did Electra realize somebody is there, act upon that, but the way she acted proves that she was able to process that it was Matt and not a hand ninja. At this stage, Electra's guard is back up, and we get another what could be considered another cheesecake shot. Electra's behind a dressing screen. Certainly you see her female form. And don't get me wrong, this is definitely made to be attractive to some extent. I'm not going to completely dismiss that. However, another narrative thing. Matt is on one side of the screen while Electra is removing that sort of tender side of herself and putting back on her familiar red garb. There's always going to be a barrier between Matt and Electra. This is just a visual cue to that. And of course, now that the armor is back up, Electra throws Matt out the window. Last issue, we saw Electra kind of move forward. She went from conflicted about how she feels and what she should do about Matt and him being in danger to her kind of going full action by rescuing Melvin. Here, that barrier is back up. And when Matt pokes at that barrier, when he tries to get into that emotional center of her, well, she reacts. This isn't Electra trying to kill Matt. This is very much two things. One, Electra pushing Matt away. She's saying, physically, 
you've gotten too close to this. You need to get out of my head space. You need to get out of my physical space. But secondly, she's testing him. She's throwing him out the window to prove that he's going to save himself. She knows, just like when she threw the sigh, Matt can save himself regardless of whether his radar sense is in effect or not. If anything, despite Matt thinking that she hates him, that's not the case. This is Electra proving to Matt that he should have a little bit more confidence in his abilities. This is a kind of twisted, bad romance, the kind of thing Lady Gaga would write songs about. Despite appearances, everything in this scene is happening in subtext, in visuals. This is why this run stands out so much. Even if we don't catch it, if, even if we're not sitting here analyzing it like I do, it's there, and it's subconscious. And we catch these cues even if we don't process them fully. Now, the next scene was unnecessary because it's pretty much panel by panel exactly the last page of last issue. The big ninja, who we're going to learn more about, walks into the room, kills the other hand ninjas in one stroke, and gets his assignment. I'm not sure why we lifted this completely from last issue, but it's here. And the only thing I can say is perhaps it was because there's no trade paperbacks, back issues were selling out, so it's good to keep the story on task, even though chronologically this happened the night before because the opening scene is the morning after what we saw last issue. And of course, Matt heads back to his apartment. Heather's dumped him. Oh, shucks. See, at this stage, even Matt doesn't seem to care anymore. So let me ask you this. Heather's still in the equation. Why should we care? Let's be honest. Right now, we have Electra on the table, who's far more intriguing and far more in Matt's wheelhouse than Heather is. But I'd rather talk about the hand than Heather. The Hand, despite them being readily defeated so far, at least on the surface, they're still formidable, as I talked about last week. Here's why. The Hand have numbers. The Big Ninja just wiped out several of them. Electra and Daredevil took out several last week, and yet we still have more trying to kill Foggy. It's like ninjas are just coming from everywhere. They have unknown numbers of members. Secondly, they refuse to quit. Last issue, they were dealt some very solid defeats when trying to kill Matt and Foggy and Melvin. And yet, here they are again, trying to kill Foggy. Now, this leads to some fairly humorous moments of Matt defeating them. For example, a hand ninja has a bow and arrow pointed on Foggy. Matt pulls the drawstring back, so it drops the arrow out of the bow. A hand ninja tries to kill Foggy in the cab, and Daredevil saves him. Foggy's completely unaware. So it's a little bit humorous, even though the danger is very, very real. And Matt seems a lot more capable at this stage, even without his radar sense, and I think being thrown out the window, learning that he's kind of, at least perception-wise, on his own. Sure, Electra's still in this game, most certainly. But for Matt, the, his perception is, okay, she hates me, she's not an ally, she's throwing me to the dogs, so I've got to step up my game. But hey, she threw me out the window, I caught myself, so there, I've got that. And of course, fighting the ninjas, we finally get to the one that doesn't dissolve and has the very clear trap on the business card for Yuki Funi Oddities. Yuki Funi is actually a character in a Japanese story called The Tale of the Genji. Although the character is unaware, she's actually descended from royalty. She's a hidden princess kept away from the royal court. So again, we have a reference to Japanese literature. Nice with the theme, but doesn't necessarily fit in symbolically because more or less she was in a love triangle tried to kill herself, was rescued from that, and then became a nun. Here we have no real love triangle. But of course, definitely a trap. However, in this, Daredevil spills the secret to dissolving ninjas. It's in the robe. Something with the costume emits a chemical, if you will, that will dissolve the person within it. That must be hell on dry cleaning bills. But again, I'm going to do this tease. 
What if that chemical was weaponized? You'll see what I'm talking about. Now, Electra, of course, comes in, gets the card. Even though she's acknowledging it's a trap, she also thinks that there is a third party aiding her. Because the ninja didn't dissolve. Well, no, of course the ninja didn't dissolve. He's the bait. You're acknowledging that it's a trap, which by proxy means you're acknowledging the bait, Electra. And yet, you're going to go ahead and go right into that trap? I'm not following your logic. And who would this third party be? We don't know. Yet. So, Electra totally totally owns Matt with the without your radar sense you're useless. Again, this is reverse psychology to me. That's the way I'm interpreting it is really Electra saying, get off your pity party and get into the game. And sure, Electra's here to make Matt's life hard, but let's be honest, right now with Matt pursuing this, Foggy in the courtroom has it harder. So let me jump back in the story and we will take a look at what is going on with the trial of Melvin Potter. Matt is noticeably absent in court as Foggy fumbles around on his own and tries to get a delay in Melvin's case. This fails. And the weapons shop also sees failure as Electra enters in disguise, asking to see the assortment of shuriken. As soon as the weapons are in hand, she uses them to dispense of the hidden hand ninjas in the shop and turns to her trusty side to take out the shopkeeper. Moving into the hidden citadel of the hand, Electra comes face to face with the Jonin's four guards, Highly skilled fighters, which means trouble for Electra. But she is not alone as Daredevil arrives and saves her, but Electra ditches the man without fear and moves further into the hidden base. But she finds more trouble as Electra meets the big ninja who is out to kill her, the ninja named Kirigi. Elsewhere in the stronghold, Daredevil manages to remove one of the guards from a fight, but is fighting himself at a disadvantage against the other three. Electra puts up a stellar fight against Kirigi, landing a killing blow after a killing blow on him. But when normal men would die, Kirigi stands up and continues to fight relentlessly. While this is a frightening realization, Foggy has a realization of his own and moves for a mistrial. So on Foggy in the courtroom. I know they're truly lost without one another, but Foggy's also a competent lawyer. I talked a bit about Matt and how his prowess in the courtroom seems to waver depending on what the story needs. Don't get me wrong, I know these two complete one another, but still... Foggy is able to at least manage his way in speaking. He is a fully trained lawyer, despite his prowess being more in the research. Foggy is the procedure. Matt is the presentation. Sure, but both have skills overlapping in both of those areas. However, as we're going to find, Foggy seems to be doing just fine. It just seems like this was played a little bit more for laughs. As I mentioned, Electra arrives in disguise as a ditzy girlfriend. To me, it's not very convincing and I wonder if the ninjas recognized her right off and were biding their time if so why did they wait till she had her hands on some weapons to strike now Kirigi as we now know his name we saw him swipe out four ninjas with one swash of his blade here Electra matches that she takes out four ninjas hidden in curtains with just as many shurikens all in one motion keep in mind they remain hidden in the curtains the whole time until they are struck and then they fall down dead now, not for nothing, I mentioned how this was obviously a trap. However, Electra seems to be right. The hand are surprised. Judging by the shopkeeper, he was not expecting her, and he didn't see through the disguise. However, he is more of a lackey, if you will. So there may be a third party out there trying to help bring down the hand. We also get a really dynamic shot of Electra. She's bounding down this hallway towards three drawn swords as she's coming on the guards. Really, really epic shot. I mentioned the hand ninjas on the cover not being in the traditional uniforms. Here we see why. Now granted, they're crimson in here, but they look more like samurai outfits. 
That's because these are the personal guards of the Jonin. These are the higher grade guards, which I assume to be the Chunin that we mentioned in the pecking order, the sort of middle ground. Essentially, these are like the Crimson Guards that were surrounding Palpatine in Return of the Jedi, which reportedly are elite soldiers. However, we never saw them do anything but stand by a door and wait. And when Daredevil shows up, he pulls a magic bullet with his club and hits all four of the guards. Now, I watch the path. I tend to follow these things. We have it hitting one, bouncing off of him, hitting another in the lower right, which bounces up to the upper right, back down to the lower left, and then the billy club is en route back to Daredevil's hand. I could just watch shots of Daredevil's club banking off of things. I would just sit there and stare at them if I could. I'm conflicted myself as to whether Elektra leaving and going forward into the Citadel is throwing Matt under the bus if he's looked at as an acceptable loss, or if Elektra sees that Daredevil is competent enough to take care of himself and hold down the fort here while she moves further. Either way, she's using Matt to her advantage, which, tactically speaking, is logical. But I tend to lean a little bit towards Elektra believing Matt can take care of this. Trusting in Matt's skills. Rather than just leaping off thinking, well, that's just his dumb luck for showing up. Your mileage may vary. Even as Elektra sort of threw Matt under the bus, Matt is throwing Foggy under the legal bus, but apparently Foggy has found something in his research to move for a mistrial. All I'm saying is Foggy Nelson is the Batman of the legal world. Given time to prep and research, he can pretty much beat any rap that you throw at him. Foggy's the research. He knows how to find something. Now, also pretty hardcore is Kirigi. He's big, he's bad, and clearly, by not dying, he's some degree of supernatural. Now, they speak of him supposedly being a guard with the hand since ancient times, 300 years or so. As we've seen, a lot of the tricks of the hand are technological, but uh, we're going to get deeper and deeper into the mystical side of it. Where Kirigi falls is kind of nebulous. In the fight with Kirigi, Elektra finds herself surrounded by Tetsubishi, which are these little pronged, bladed things on the floor, also known as the Home Alone Defense. So they have some stability. When you step on them, they don't just crush. Elektra's feeling is that this works against Kirigi, because, you know, as long as she stays within this, he can only come at her one direction. But I don't know that that's the case. I don't think this is Kirigi's disadvantage. I think this is another tactical move by Kirigi. It's a defense move. Because for as much as he only has one way to strike, she only has one way to defend. Now, all of this is for naught because Elektra delivers two, count them, two killing blows that would drop normal men. Kirigi pulls the Psy out. Bear in mind, he now has her weapons and just keeps going. I mean, this guy is like the Timex of ninjas. He takes a lickin' and keeps on ticking. Even with this, Elektra's faring well, but Daredevil not as much. Sure, he takes out one of the guards, but one out of four... Well, it sounds like a bad meatloaf song about to happen. And again, this mistrial, Foggy is just the Batman of the legal world, chucking judicial batterings left and right. He's found something. And what is this mistrial? We're going to find out in a moment. So while I'm kind of captivated by what's going on in the courtroom, I'm just as equally captivated by this ongoing fight with the ninjas. So let's get back to that. The fight against the hand continues, and it is not going well for our side. Daredevil sees his billy club get sliced, which means it's time to get out of Dodge. Elektra, meanwhile, is at the mercy of Kirigi, who has a rope around her neck as the Jonin taunts her. Desperate, Elektra grabs a katana and allows Kirigi's pull to yank her back at him, allowing her to stab him through the chest with the sword. This gives her enough of an upper hand to throw Kirigi down a flight of stairs where he disappears, leaving the Jonin all alone. Daredevil also manages to get his hands on a katana and breaks the swords of the guardsmen who run away to fight another day. 
When Daredevil finally catches up with Elektra, she has killed the Jonin, an act that Daredevil says he will arrest her for. But Daredevil is injured and exhausted, which catches up to him and he falls to the floor. Elektra considers leaving Daredevil to bleed out and die, but apparently takes the high road because we catch up to Matt at the courthouse a little while later. Apparently Foggy was successful in finding a little-known legal precedent and getting Melvin's case thrown out of court. While Matt and Foggy mug for the camera, the Kingpin's true motive is revealed. His plan was not for Daredevil to die at the Sword of the Hand. His plan was to have Daredevil break up the ninja's New York group, and it has succeeded. But Kingpin swears he'll deal with Daredevil when the time comes. And so ends issue 175 of Daredevil. Now Elektra, she puts up an impressive fight. Anything in her hand is a weapon. For example, Elektra uses her belt at one point to drop Kirigi to the floor. Now Kirigi manages to fight back, but this just proves everything in Elektra's hand is a weapon, much like Bullseye. Immediately you're thinking what I'm thinking. Those two should fight. Well, eventually. Again, Elektra's sigh are taken from her. Kirigi still has them in his hand. Now, what happens here is he does drop it when she attacks him with the belt, and she, when she goes for it, she realizes Kirige is five steps ahead. That was part of the plan. The side being dropped was simply bait. That is how Elektra ends up with a rope wrapped around her neck, at Kirige's mercy. Daredevil seems to know when to stop where Elektra doesn't. Once his billy club is sliced and he's unarmed, he gets out of the situation. Now, he comes back to it but he's basically looking around for something, anything, to defend himself with. And they've gotten good blows in. He is definitely injured. He's bleeding. And of course, the exertion here, well, it's taking its toll on him. And one of my favorite scenes in the book was Elektra grabbing the katana, which is sort of there, apparently just to taunt her. Just out of reach. Because she'll run for it, and Kirigi will yank her back. Well, she happens to grab it, which becomes Kirigi's undoing. At least for this particular fight. He's got a sword through his chest, she's choking him, he falls down a set of stairs and vanishes. This would be where if you or I were the Jonin, we would shut up and get the heck out of Dodge. We're now a target with no guards, nothing between you and Electra. Except the Jonin is whining. Please do not leave me, I'll be all alone. Well, now you're on Electra's radar, aren't you bucko? And how does that end for him? Well, he dies. Eventually waiting out the guards, Daredevil does get his hands on a katana sword and now he's all Jedi knighting. He gets in a good stance, takes a swipe, and breaks the swords of his opponents. Basically, Daredevil psyched them out. They probably still could have taken him. He's injured. They still have other skills, other weapons. But that one moment really just put the fear into them and they ran. But there's another aspect to that too, is I wonder if they realize the Jonin is dead. Because if they're supposed to be guarding him and they fail that, well, they're kind of screwed, aren't they? Now, the character moment for me was Daredevil coming up and saying, Electra, no, I'm going to arrest you. I'm going to arrest you. He's still passionate. He's injured. He's exhausted. He passes out. But up until that moment, when he loses consciousness, he is going to arrest Electra, regardless of how he feels about her, regardless of how he feels about the hand. There are rules, and she is breaking all of them. There's a lot of rule breaking here within Electra. Not only is she breaking the law, but she's also breaking her own rules. This is a person who doesn't have interpersonal relationships because of her line of work, because of her devotion to that line of work and that ideal. And yet here she is looking down at Matt thinking, you know, I could just leave him here to die. No big deal. My weakness is gone. This is the equivalent of Superman saying, you know, I could eradicate all kryptonite if for one immoral act. Matt is her weakness. The fact that she will always save him is her weakness. It's the one exception to the rule. Now, Elektra as a character, just as a concept, is breaking the rules of convention at this stage because... 
the question would be coming into this, is she a hero? Is she a villain? She's neither. Like Catwoman would become. She's her own element. Now, admittedly, Catwoman came in, she was a straight villain. Sure, Batman had tenuous romantic ties. Sure, she had some redemptive qualities, but very much she's out to steal things. Now, Elektra is a bounty hunter, yes. But that's not necessarily a bad thing because sometimes the bounties she hunt are bad guys. This is very groundbreaking because this is clearly going to be an influence on the way Catwoman is written. You started seeing more heroic elements from her. You started seeing the rise of this female element because females were either villains, heroes, or love interests. Well, Elektra's kind of a merging of that, and you're never quite sure where you stand with her, as a reader and as a character within the context. So Elektra definitely breaks type in a big way, and you know what? She ends up upstaging the hero in this issue. She takes on the big guns while he staves off their friends. And I have to admit, my feelings on Elektra have not really changed, although I have grown to appreciate her more in this context. And I said a long time ago that I like Elektra in one context. That is this Frank Miller run proper. Elektra Assassin is great. Elektra Lives Again is great. But both of those occupy, in terms of continuity, a space that is undefined. When we get to Elektra Lives Again, we'll look at the validity of the continuity. If I ever get a chance to cover Elektra Assassin, we'll look at the continuity. If it applies, what's the timeline? But the intent of the character, the character's arc that we see within this, is pretty much still the epitome of great character storytelling. So to take her beyond that is a little disingenuous. Now, having said that, this character has intrigued me that much more by reading through this. And I have become a little bit more open to alternate interpretations because I see the sheer potential in Elektra and what the appeal was. Why Marvel would want to bring her into the equation. We mentioned uh, on an email from Luke Giaconetti that she was on the stamp, perhaps for diversity reasons, just to show female characters. And I think more and more as I'm reading into this, yes, I think that's true. Because not only is she a strong female character, she is in no way an archetype. And then we have somebody like Heather, who fits perfectly into archetype. And yet we see Matt going back to Heather. Granted, there's no romantic door for Elektra. That's pretty much closed. I think that's pretty clear that these two could not constitute a relationship again. But Heather? Plain Heather. Matt had his life in Elektra's hands, and she did the right thing. Here's the question on Heather, and one that I don't honestly have an answer for. Could Heather do the right thing in that instance? If Matt is laying there injured, would she panic? Would she just say enough of this noise? I don't know, and that bothers me. And that stands out on Heather even more. At least with Karen, from the earlier time frame, I could say, yeah, she would bandage him up, call an ambulance, something. Natasha could do a field triage. But Heather might just let him lay on the floor and bleed. Because she doesn't have the emotional capacity to deal with this world that he's in. It's that simple. Let me get to Kingpin, his plan, which was originally perceived to be, let's get the hand to bring Daredevil out. So Hand tries to assassinate Matt Murdock, Daredevil comes along. That was the plan. The assumption put forth is that Matt would then die by the hand of the Hand. But in all reality, it was, oh, Daredevil's a tool I can use. I can manipulate. I can push him to get rid of this little thorn in my side. These ninjas need to go. Daredevil's the guy. But the logic in the plan is we're going to try to kill Matt Murdock, or we're actually going to successfully kill Matt Murdock, and Daredevil will come along. Kingpin doesn't appreciate the irony of this because Kingpin doesn't know Matt's secret identity. He doesn't know that he was going to kill Daredevil in order to prod Daredevil to do something. Thank goodness for that secret identity because if the Kingpin ever found out, well, this October, November, you'll see what happens when that occurs. 
So overall, final summation on this, final verdict. There wasn't as much character development as the last issue, but the last issue covered a lot of ground. This just sort of continuously watered the seeds there. We saw some great moments with Elektra at the very beginning of the issue with a more vulnerable side, more conflicted, and the way Matt plays into that. Now, I'm not upset about that, though, because let's be honest, at the end of the day, comics are still entertainment. Not every issue has to move a character from point A to point B. Sometimes you have integers in between. This one kind of slightly moved Elektra forward. But at the same time, it had ninjas and fighting and fighting with ninjas. And you know what? Whenever I hear that, I'm pretty much in. Elektra pretty much owned this issue. And again, her appeal has become a lot clearer to me as I've looked at this character a little bit more stringently. I may still have some issues with post-Miller Elektra, but I'm more open, I'm more interested because I like Elektra and I'm fascinated by her in a way that I wasn't before I started doing these expository read-throughs. But overall, my friends, that is Daredevil 175 and the end of another episode. Remember that Wednesday, June 11th, The Devil's Advocate featuring Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and your emails. And next week, in issue 176, you can kill a ninja, but that doesn't mean they are dead. And Turk gets his hands on some powerful hardware. Hilarity ensues. All of that in seven short days. Until then, remember that justice may be blind, but it can see in the dark. He is the one that come a man without fear. Never far away whenever things is near. There's devil fight for what is right. You have been listening to Dave's Daredevil Podcast, which can be found at daredevilpodcast.com. The show can be subscribed to via the RSS link, iTunes, and other podcatchers, or streaming on the Stitcher app, giving you instant access to a wide range of audio programs. Email for the show can be submitted through the contact form on the website or directly with the address dave at daredevilpodcast.com. The show is all over social media. On Facebook, you can find it by searching Dave's Daredevil Podcast, on Twitter with the username at Dave Weeder, and on Tumblr at daredevilpodcast.tumblr.com. Daredevil and related characters are copyright Marvel Comics, and any sound clips or music are for entertainment purposes only. This podcast does not make any money on these elements and is simply made for entertainment. All copyrights lie with the copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. I am Dave, and thank you for listening to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Oh, wow.